We live in a society where honor is a distant memory. Isn't that right? Batman. And we're back. Welcome to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am also Mike handling the introduction today because this is another guest-hosted episode where I will be joined in a conversation with one of the two hosts of Is It Worth It, the film review podcast. Isitworthitpodcast.com is where you go for all of their stuff, for all of their links. They're available everywhere you guys can listen that you would want to listen. I am thrilled to be joined by Craig today after being joined by David Long in the last episode uh, where we did an Oscar race checkpoint covering the PGAs, covering the WGAs. Great conversation with David Long. Had a blast doing that. And uh, after that recording, I went right into a conversation with Craig about the Snyder Cut. That is Zack Snyder's Justice League. And this is a massive episode. This is a massive movie event review, but it is certainly what we do here on MMO. And it is what that they do over there on Is It Worth It, uh, the film review podcast, because we love to talk Oscars, but we also just love to talk movies. And this is certainly something as zeitgeisty as we're ever going to get in the film world, this debut on HBO Max of the Snyder Cut. So I was really happy to get the chance to talk to Craig about this movie at the length we get to talk about it. So it's a, it's a sizable episode. You will have a spoiler warning and about after a half hour, you'll get that spoiler warning, and it's a big musical warning, so do not fear, do not fret. We won't get into the plot details if you haven't seen it beforehand. We're going to talk about a lot of the industry stuff, talk about a lot of the side stories, a lot of the stories that are a bit polarizing right now with the fandom, with a lot of different things. It's just an intense conversation at times. It's a meaningful one, and it's also a lot of fun, and we, we can't help but have fun with a movie like this so make sure you guys follow one david long d-a-v-i-d-l-o-n-g that is david's handle on twitter make sure you follow i am crag i-a-m-c-r-a-g they are all over twitter they are all over our uh feed lately and is it worth it podcast.com is of course where you can get at them on the internet to get all their links to every, every everything they do with that podcast. Film is worth it is the handle. Film is worth it is the handle on Twitter as well. I just skipped that. I screwed up the uh, socials in the last intro, but I've, I've gone too far, as they said in Harold and Kumar. I've go, we've gone too far. We've gone down the hallway. This is the end of a massive three-hour recording session where I'm recording the intro. So look, I already know this episode is good. I already know that David got the better of my hosting abilities, as I said to him on the way out. Um, but yeah, Craig gets the sloppy seconds of my hosting abilities here. It's still a, a, an awesome conversation. I'm really proud of it. And uh, uh, we, we actually... Just go right through to the outro, so I won't see you guys again until our next episode. That's probably some Oscar stuff between Mike and I, where we talk DGA, where we talk perhaps some Oscar locks. What categories are we locking? But that'll be coming up next after we dive into the movie event that is the Snyder Cut. Enjoy. Okay, on the line we have Craig 
from the Is It Worth It podcast, film review podcast. We just talked to David in the last episode, and now Craig is with us here for a movie event. And this is quite the movie event, Craig. So number one, welcome. And I'm also I'm also leery of this conversation because we have differing opinions, but, but welcome, buddy. Thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to delve into this extravaganza. Oh, we got to yeah. delve. And it, it is an extravaganza. That's a wonderful way to put it. All right. We, we, we don't have much time for pleasantries. We are reviewing a four-hour movie. Uh, there's a ton of cool stuff to talk about, uncool stuff to talk about, uh, for good reason, with Zack Snyder's Justice League here. And, uh, yeah, we got to dr- dive right in to the critical reception first, please, Craig. Okay, well, Zack Snyder's Justice League has a 73% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, where the audience rating is even higher at a whopping 96% from over 25,000 votes. Yeah, and even <laughs> I, I remember I remember looking at it, and I was surprised when I looked at it, and then when... I saw it written down there. I was surprised. And now I'm even more surprised to hear you say it because, Craig, I can't start this relationship off with a lie, Uh, (laughs) nor would I dare pander to a man who's been through the week you've been through, buddy. So when I wrote this, there was a pigeon in your chimney. Did that pigeon get out yet? Well, it was a bit touch and go at one point, but this pigeon was saved by a wonderful uh, person, an officer from a charity in the UK called the RSPCA. And uh, what a job she did. She managed to retrieve it. It's still alive. It's slightly injured, but it's gone to a, 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 a doctor for that for animals, a vet that will take care of it, hopefully. That is a beautiful story. It's a beautiful story. Uh, and I'm going to, I feel so much more guilty about disagreeing you with you today on this movie. But uh, like I said, I, I just can't lie to you. I can't, especially you, you just been through so much. So as I was saying, I don't know what these critics are smoking, but I want some. Uh, I'm sort of kidding. I, I guess I should say I'm fully kidding, but I, I can't. I'm sort of kidding. I want to like this movie more than I do, but I just I can't get there with it. Now, I am in the minority, and I know you are in more of a, of a safe zone with the confidence of the people here. So how do you view Zack Snyder's Justice League? Can you tease your review for a minute? Ah. <sighs> <laughs> you're being you're being a great guy here because you just got a pigeon out of your chimney and you're trying to be nice to me and you're a guest and you're just a beautiful human being craig but no <laughs> let let let's let's hear it where where do you fall on this film you really want to hear <laughs> that i loved it didn't you I well, I like I like that uh, we have differing opinions on this podcast. Usually, it's me and Mike, and we got our all all our old shtick. But you're you're a new voice here, so I, I don't. We'll have to have invent new shtick with how we go <laughs> down this road. But yeah, no, we, I, I usually have guests, and we usually kind of line up. But this is fascinating. You're you're in for this movie, but you're also you're kind of measured about it. I would say, right? I'm in and I'm out. I mean, that's the best way of putting it, really. I, yes, 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 yes. And no, 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 no. I think that's the only way I can, as a tease, that's the best way of putting it, really. But you did have those moments of yes, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I I did not, unfortunately. So I'm going to have to learn from you. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to have to figure out and and pick your brain on, on where those moments came from. So that is fascinating to me. But I am looking at the other number 
from the critics, and I'm starting to feel like what you just said to me is uh, is is more sensible uh, because the the creme de la creme of the critics for the Metascore, they gave it a 54. So that that lines up kind of with where you're at that CC plus range, which I would say 54 Metascore is around that. That's a mixed review. So Craig and I, MMOers, we're gonna have some fun today, regardless. I realize I'm in the minority, so I, I think you're going to let me have it a little bit today, uh, I would say. But, all right, we have relationships with this source material, and I think that's where we got to start today, Craig, because, yeah. you know, th- this this is source material that people love out there, and I'm not a DC hater, so l- let me just give you my backstory for a second. Yes, I'm an MCU lover. And I, I probably shouldn't have said that because this is where all the uh, polarization comes from. But oh, yeah. I'm not a DC hater, though. That's the thing. Like from Christopher Reed to Christopher Nolan, a ton of animated series in between, a ton of roller coasters. Like, I don't know if they have Six Flags DC themed roller coasters out there by you guys. Uh, no, I don't think they do, do they? They do here. So like I, I had like my childhood, some of the best moments of my childhood on the Batman Michael Keaton roller coaster on the <laughs> Superman ride. Like, you know, like greatest teenage day of my life, you know, with a, with girls for the first time out like a 12 year old, <laughs> 13, like those are my memories with the DC, like having days with Superman and Batman, the coasters, never mind the film. So Mike and I, we do the Joker character study. We love it. Mm. And we, we enjoy a lot of the, the great badness of the DCU, even the DCEU rather. So yeah, I I think if I had to restudy Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice or the original Justice League, I you know I would want to kill them till they're dead. <laughs> I, I don't know how you view those, but I liked Man of Steel, I liked Wonder Woman, I liked Aquaman, and yes, the Joker uh, or Joker with Joaquin Phoenix. So you know I have a bit of a mixed experience with the DCEU, but overall on the DC, I'm I'm a big fan. So how how about you? Can you tell me your relationship a little bit with DC? Are you a comic book guy going all the way back? Are you just a film guy? What's your what's your history with the DC? So uh, I suppose I to kick things off, I am a bit of a nerd in some ways and I do enjoy comic books. Maybe not as much as some real diehard fans, but if we want to go right the way back to when I was a young man, um <laughs> you know superhero movies or superhero comic book characters have have been in my life for a long time and I was a genuine DC fan I suppose unintentionally when I watched Lois and Clark the new adventures of Superman from 1993 (laughs) and uh, honestly that's where my love for Superman probably came from and and I'm probably going to get a lot of abuse for that but so that's Terry Hatcher hold on so that's Terry Hatcher and what's the the actor's name I can't remember? remember his name and I'm sorry for that I mean but he's now he does he does a lot of other stuff now doesn't he Lois and Clark well he is he one of those (laughs) Is he one of those like? Uh, oh, here we go, Dean Kane. That's Dean it. Dean Kane. Yeah. And Terry Hatcher. Wowza. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, that's where Superman. My love for Superman came from, I suppose. <laughs> but there, like you say, there was a ton of animated stuff in between. There was. There was a lot of DC shows there. There was, you know, for every age group that just kept doing them. Mm. You guys are younger than me, but I had Batman the Animated Series. Yeah. I had The Mask of the Phantasm, which was a big deal when I was like 12 or 13. And then I had, you know, I had like the, the Kirby stuff when I got older. I, me- mm. I remember reading the the graphic novel novel of The Dark Knight Returns. And then j- just recently I finally caught up with the animated films on HBO Max 
of The Dark Knight Returns from, not Kirby, Frank Miller. Kirby was the MCU guy, but uh, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. Excuse me there. That's my fault. So, all right, we have fun to have with this movie, but we also have some serious stuff to get into and a few serious stories here, of course. There's a terrible tragedy on, on why Zack Snyder steps away uh, why he cannot finish the film, why Joss Whedon has to step in. Terrible tragedy, but there's also the resounding blessing uh, in the aftermath where Zack Snyder has raised over half a million dollars, half a million dollars for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Uh, this film is dedicated to his daughter, Autumn, and it ends with her favorite song, Hallelujah. Zack Snyder's helped a lot of people here. And we can certainly all get behind so many positive affirmations throughout this film, spoken and chanted and sung and soundtracked that clearly helped this man and many others grieve and cope and heal. So I would imagine, I'm just skimming the surface here, Craig, but how does this aspect of the pr production story hearten you? Or, or does this backstory even shine through the actual film for you? I guess... It's it's a really difficult one, but I think you have to separate them. Um, I think mm -hmm. it's they're two very different stories, and one's real life and one isn't. But you've got to sometimes you have to lean into the imagination of the not real to really get through certain things. And and Snyder's put his heart and soul into this to make it what his true vision was, and he pays dedication to his daughter and he's done a lot of great things on the back of it to help yeah. it along the way and that, that if, if we're going to take one positive thing from from this film this will certainly be it um but i think there's a few other things that i can take from it that are more positive that we can probably talk about later but yeah so the film works for you where it works as a film but then you could take like the extemporaneous things where it's, I, I don't know why I kind of just, I, I read into movies a lot. I, I get a dick. Maybe it's the Oscar narrative thing. And the fact that I'm, I'm an, I'm an Oscar pundit kind of deal. And you know, like the Thomas Vinterberg story meant a lot to me. And I kind of read into that and I wanted all the subtext in another round. And uh, I think, uh, I think, you, you, you know, any director, any auteur, I kind of read into it. I, I do think a lot of, fans are reading into it in a way because everybody's so charged up about this uh, i wonder you, d d does it make sense to you that maybe this subject matter is is kind of adding to the fray in a way yeah no i see what you're saying and i think there are some free lines and some story that might you know every director has to build upon things that happen in their life to, and, and and put those into the story and and they they have to try and put some reality into it and it does it, it, it there are elements of it in there and i think but i think there's a lot less like for me i watched it as a film that i, I tried not to look into that i i, I think mm -hmm. it's because i i want to see the superhero element i want to have fun with it and i try not to read into things too much and and, and go into them i want to know whether i'm in, entertained have i enjoyed yeah. it or have i not enjoyed it and why didn't i enjoy it and but the, with this it's such a long film it's such a long amount of different things that happen within it that there's there's almost many many different stories and it's it's really hard to sort of pick out elements of it that might say that yes this is part of that and some of it isn't does that make sense I, that does make sense it, it, it's probably the healthy way to look at it because you could compartmentalize uh, and just review the film 
And I wish I was like you, I guess. <laughs> because <laughs> no, the, ne- the next set of stories, like if, I, if I'm just focusing on those first set of stories, I mean, that's a, that's a heartening tale, I would say. And that makes me want to like this movie more. But this next set of stories makes me want to, you know, just get angry with this movie and this whole project mm. uh, in, in general. So I think we got to talk about it. I mean, the, the production backstory is much, much more complicated than this personal, personal odyssey of of Zack Snyder. There have been years of hashtags and, and trolling and and allegations of quote-unquote cyberbullying. And those allegations came out in a recent article from WB themselves. WB calls this cyberbullying. So don't don't just put it on me people if you're if you're if you're you know coming to the story anew. So these movements haven't just been DC MCU rivalry. This has been you know, something a bit toxic. It's not a bit toxic. It has been toxic on mm. the internet, according to the major studios, according to a lot of people who analyze this, according to my co-host who's tweeted about it, these controversies uh, for a while. So are you, so again, you're compartmentalizing, but are you aware going in of what's been happening on social media? I mean, you guys are a part of film Twitter too. Are you staying away from it? And you just want, want to like the movie totally, or you, you, you can't help but kind of watch it as a train wreck? You know, I, I tend to stay away from looking at some other people's views on films, because especially before I watch the films as well, because I don't want to be tinged by their opinion. So mm. I'm not privy to a complete set of what's been going on on social media in terms of the cyberbullying. Um, so this is between different people, different fans, MCU, DC. Is this what you're saying or is, this, is, it, is it more than that? Is it within the culture right. of the film on set or is it less than that? No, you're such a purist. You are the one. You're the chosen one. <laughs> like nobody else. Like, like, like Mike and I can't be like this. We can't. We talk about it all the time. Like Mike is like, I am not a man of principle. And I say the same thing. No, you are a man of principle. That's Holy I am. Jesus. This is incredible. I'm dealing with a genuine article right now. So a, b- a bit of a clunky opening because we're feeling each other out. And and yeah, that is that is absolutely fascinating to me. So, Okay. Let's kind of do one more final prerequisite before we dive into this review and we just let your film critic muscles flex. But I do want to talk to you about HBO Max, about the viewership, about what kind of a hit this movie could be. And I did a little bit of research. We had two articles posted this week from Screen Rant and Deadline, and they're a bit opposite. But let's let's be honest. The number numbers are similar. Samba... I guess they're like a Nielsen service. I don't know what you guys have for TV ratings out there, but Samba calculated 2.2 million viewers in the first three days of Wonder Woman 1984 and 1.8 million viewers for Justice League. The opposite was uh, the case for Screen Rant. So we have Screen Rant saying that actually there's 35% higher audience numbers, viewership numbers for... Uh, Justice League than Wonder Woman. Yeah. So basically, it sounds like they're close, but if those viewership numbers pan out, we're, we're going to have a conversation here about what that means. So, Craig, how do you view these conflicting reports? Is this more par for the course? This is just a polarizing film? Do you think the journalists are polarized as well? Or do you think this is margin of error stuff like kind of I, I was guessing there? <laughs> how, do, how do we unpick that? I mean, it's difficult. How much of that is like, is it just, so you're saying that Samba is a regulated um, body that, that calculates these views. So this, you should, that, that should be quite accurate, really. Yeah, that's from Deadline. And they're, you know, they're an old 
you know, established trade mm. here in uh, in the U.S. So deadline, I would say they're, they're relying on some hard numbers from somebody. Yeah. And this somebody is Samba. Would I like Samba to have a more serious name? I would like Samba to have a more serious name when calculating <laughs> viewership numbers of this millions of dollars. But OK, so, yeah. So so does that does that actually make it more real for you? The fact that it's coming from deadline? Yeah, I mean, if it's coming from a, a reputable brand or company that you know, is able to give me the stats and that I can trust, then yeah, but yeah. it, what, what, you know, what does that really mean though, going forward? Because one, and I think you're probably going to talk about this a bit more, but one had a cinematic release and this, yeah. and, and the other didn't, how does that impact that? And I think, you know, I think it doesn't add up for me. That's very true. We've had, there's no doubt HBO Max has added subscribers since Wonder Woman 1984 and the, and since their Christmas push and putting their entire slate on uh, the streaming service or day and date with movie theaters in the U.S. here. So there's no question that's a factor. I, I just, I, I wonder, I wonder if this is just uh, people being bullish. Or I wonder if they're calculating viewership maybe later down the line, even mm. though these articles were released the same day. This is going to be a fascinating story to follow. But let's look at those numbers for a second. You know, 2.2 million views, whether it's Wonder Woman or whether it's uh, Justice League, we, we don't really know or care right now. But let's just compare those numbers to like box office numbers. Like if we, if you put the $10 average ticket price, just to make the math easier, 2.2 million views is $22 million at the box office, right? Mm -hmm. Move the decimal point. Uh, if you if you project ticket price higher, then we're looking more towards the $30 million range. Obviously, we know that uh, you know HBO Max has 37 million subscribers. Let's flip the coin here for a second. Let's look at Netflix, and let's look at the Netflix numbers that we've gotten this year. 203 million subscribers at the end of 2020, and their big cojone, cojone's not a word, their big movie, uh, Extraction, I guess I guess cojones, yeah, it's a, it's a ballsy <laughs> movie. All right, where my brain goes sometimes, but Extraction on Netflix had a viewership in, after a month, not after a weekend, but after a month of 99 million that is a huge number. Mm. And basically, if you extrapolate that out, if you add a decimal point, or if you move the decimal point, you're looking at a billion dollar film in terms of viewership. So this is, these are totally different ball games, And these are totally different sized argue, uh, audiences here. Totally different size arguments too, as my brain was going. But all right, look, the Snyder Cut how big of a hit do you think it is on HBO Max? Judging those numbers, how big of a hit do you think it's it's going to be when the quarter one numbers come out? Do you have any hunches on like what we're looking at with the Snyder Cut? Because I do think it matters because it matters to the industry because we know it's made a dent on film Twitter, the Snyder Cut. Yeah, no, it's going to impact the industry hugely. It It's going to, it's taken a hit in terms of revenue, I think, in terms of box office and tr maybe turning a profit because it costs a fair amount to do a lot of you know, the Snyder, to make the Snyder Cut come back from what it was yeah. previously. So are they going to make their money back? Is it going to be a long-term thing where they make their money back? I don't know. I mean, they must have increased 
their their numbers and in, in viewership. Um, over here in the UK, we had it on Sky Cinema or Now TV, as they call it. It's the same company, more or less. Um, and I I would have imagined there was a lot of increased um, demand for that. And actually, Sky are picking up some huge films, especially um, later in the next month. They've got promising young women coming to Sky Cinema as well. So, oh, wow. you know, that's that's a huge one. And um, you know that it does. I think it will increase numbers, but in terms of revenue, I think that's going to be going down the opposite way because you're paying one price, you're getting a lot more for your money, you're not having to pay multiple tickets. And yeah, I think, yeah, it definitely is going to make an impact in, in that way. Um, yeah, you almost got to portion out the subscriber figure to, to many different movies. And, and and that's where a lot of people are talking about confusion within the industry and how people are, mm. are analyzing it. So I, I think you're right on there. But I, I am glad of this next fact that you actually watched the making of documentary for the Snyder cut and you yes. uh, were, were able to check that out. And yes, there, this was a big budget endeavor to reshoot this or to finish shooting this or no, nobody knows, but you, you actually know, I don't know, you yeah. know. So what were your takeaways from the making of here? I was confused. I'll be honest because it, it they added one scene into the film it, mm. and, um, and then they've, they've done some various additional reshoots and they've unpicked a lot of what Joss Whedon did with the original um, film. And I can't quite put my finger on how much um, Zack Snyder actually managed to shoot and where Joss Whedon picked up and, and changed things and how much he shot. There was a lot of stuff from what I am led to believe that Joss Whedon just went back and reshot and oh, okay. and and so then we didn't did the reshoots reading then... did a lot of reshoots and then Zack Snyder's gone back in and, and taken that out removed the gump and then put a lot more stuff back in from what I understand it's a oh. difficult one because at the same time Snyder's done something very different here in terms of what, what how we view it as well and, and we may get onto that a bit later on but it's in terms of aspect ratio when we view it um and there's a there's a reason for that and it's it, one of the biggest reasons for it is because I can't and that's simply what he says in these, in the behind the scenes. It's like you know, it's 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 a, it's, yeah, it's it's just a strange theory behind it. And I like it in some ways, and sometimes some other ways I don't. Um, especially when you realise where this is going to be delivered. Did he need to go down that road to to make it his true one true vision? Uh, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> there, there's a there, there was a lot to take away, and there was a particular scene that they've added that. I think we'll probably talk about in the spoiler part of this um that is quite polarizing as well i can't wait till we get to that point but i'm fascinated to actually watch the making of i wish i was able to to get the time to to watch that uh before recording today so that that's fascinating that's not what i had perceived and again i'm, I'm a bit ignorant of this whole process my co-host is a little more up on it i know he wishes he could be here with us today craig but uh he uh, you know i think he, both of us were under the impression that uh you know, Snyder did more reshoots than maybe Whedon did, but that, that's 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 interesting that they spun it the other way, or that maybe that's exactly what happened when when, when like you're saying, like, like what seems to be documented here, and then Snyder actually preserved what he had already shot. Yeah, and I think Whedon, I think a yeah. lot of it was like restoration almost, like he re restored what was previously done in terms of footage, and then and then it was adding in certain further elements that 
you know, and, and restoring certain characters to how they should have looked, essentially. Um, I think that was the main aspect of what they were doing. And a lot of that comes from visual effects um, hmm. and, and various other techniques that, that make it stand out in, in different ways. So not to say too much, but you're somewhat of an you are an industry pro and you look at a $70 million price tag for visual effects and maybe one scene. My God, what must the, that work have been like? I mean, it, I, I mean, I guess it makes you appreciate, you know, these Hollywood budgets and these, you know, the big studio productions a little bit, but uh, I mean, the CGI is that, is that important to the, to this picture, obviously, but I, I'm, I'm a little surprised that Zack Snyder had to do so much for the reshoot, I guess. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> or the, the recut, I guess. Yeah. yeah, there was a lot to do, and I think there was a lot of. I think in in the industry we call it like color grading and regrading and mm. um, reshaping as well in terms of like the aspect ratio because of the way it's been shot previously and and how Joss Whedon undid a lot of the way it was shot um, to make it a more conventional aspect ratio for when it comes into cinemas and for home viewing as well, I suppose. So that Martin Scorsese number is not looking so big for the Irishman now is what my biggest takeaway of this conversation. <laughs> because yeah, seventy million for mostly post production VFX uh, for a movie that VFX heavy is one thing, but then yeah, I mean the the Irishman did a ton of VFX and and that price tag skyrocketed. But now we get it. Now we get why. So all right, I'm wondering how you watched this film. I know you had a crazy week derail things for you, and it wasn't just the pigeon. Yeah, uh, poor Craig. But it it was it was a nut nut so weak for you. But I, I kind of watched it the same way both times, and I probably shouldn't have. I watched the first hour, was like, nah, they just made that <laughs> noise, and then I I came back to it. and I watched the next three hours uh, from there. H how did you watch the film? Did you watch it like a TV show or a movie? Well, it, it's really difficult to watch a four hour film in one straight hit, especially when you have other things going on in your life, and you know there are it is broken into an episodic piece in a way you have mm -hmm. different parts to it you have an epilogue you have a lot of stuff going on there and it makes it easier to, to manage in some sense because if you do want to stop watching it and and go off and do something else you can but that takes away something for me because what we do we are a film review podcast that's what David and I do and we review films in the cinema and to have a four hour film in the cinema you would mostly mm. have a break maybe halfway through it an interval maybe with this and you're at, when you're at home, you get frustrated when watching films at home and you are more likely to pause, go to the, have a toilet break, um, look at your phone for whatever reason. And it does change the way that you view films. And this film makes it even harder to, to undo the way you view your films previously when you go to the cinema. And yeah, I, I, if in that sense, I didn't, I can't like the way that I viewed it because I wanted to watch it all in once with no distractions and I found it very hard to do so. But I viewed it in an episodic way. I had to watch maybe part one, part two, then have a break and do something else and then come back to it. And maybe that was the wrong way to do it, but it was the only way I could do it because of various reasons. No, I'm fascinated by the fact that we viewed it in polar opposite ways because I wound up I wound up sitting for the three hour binge because I just didn't know how to get out and come back. And I didn't know if I would come back. <laughs> I just, I was in that weird spot. Like this yeah. was not made to be episodic television, even though they gave you that option, I suppose. And at, at the same time, it wasn't made to be a four hour movie. 
so it, it is in that in-between land yeah. somewhere in Romania here. So, <laughs> all right. <laughs> Look, I think uh, I think we're going to break it down, like, specifically coming up. But I do want to kind of get into some of the more film criticy things here with a final non-spoiler segment before we give a spoiler warning. And that is, you know, Mike and I always talk about production values, direction. We talk about the story and the script in a non-spoiler way. You know, we give that non-spoiler review and then we talk about the performances. So I have some positives and I, I know you do too if you fall in that C to C plus range, perhaps. So so what are a few of your positives out of that mix? So I think they was Snyder's done some really great stuff with CGI um, and vastly improved the way certain characters look in terms of um, being a, a difficult, well, what am I trying to say? We've got. Well, we've did got, they deliver yeah. on the uh, comic books in a way? Yeah, I mean, but also in terms of a, a, an antagonist being fearsome, mm-hmm. it, it was so much more fearsome than it was previously because of the way that they'd put more CGI onto him, or maybe not CGI, but a costume in, in, yeah. in a sense that was totally different and totally um, uh, more fearsome. But you know, and then the cinematography on top of that is exquisite in in a, in a lot of places. Um, it falls short in maybe a few other ones, but we won't go into the negative just yet. But I think a lot of the characters are way more well-rounded. Um, we have a lot more from certain characters than we had previously. And you get more backstory to some of them, which I was a real fan of um, because previously it was just a real mess. Um, Mm -hmm. We weren't introduced to characters properly and this time we really were. And you actually got a character arc that was worthy of a film like this, I thought anyway, personally. Well, I would agree with you on that. I think the last film from Joss Whedon should be burned at the stake yeah, and and then yeah, just buried a uh, hundred feet deep. Not not buried like they bury things in this film, like two feet deep, shallow grave. <laughs> what are we doing? That right, was crazy. Look, yeah, I, I would agree. I think uh, the the visuals are the strength of this film. I think Zack Snyder has one of the strongest, sexiest visual styles ever, and I say that on multiple levels. Yeah. I think this is hero pornography for cosplayers and for comic book enthusiasts and for you know uh anybody who loves a great superhero movie or loves yeah. a great theme park movie and that is yeah it's a genre right now that people are paying big bucks to go see so the cinematography is, is just gorgeous to behold i mean it's you got nature gasms you got just beautiful people with with without garments on and I like it, it, the only thing that would have been more beautiful. They just finished this movie with a fucking orgy, but I think <laughs> <laughs> they're that hot. It's just that hot. It's a hot. It's hottie overload in this movie. It, it, it's great cinematography. So if you're looking for those goods delivered, consider them delivered. Uh, Gal Gadot is the most beautiful woman on the planet. She's stunning. Guys, she is terrific. Yeah. She genuinely is, and she, you couldn't cast a better person as Wonder Woman. I'm glad you interrupted me there. I was about to say things even more embarrassing than where I was going, but I think <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I really think I really think that she is a is a star in the making, and I'm glad. Mm. I think they did her better in this movie than the previous one. Obviously, Cyborg is another character that you mentioned it a lot more exposition and necessary exposition, yeah. and I gravitated to that plant line as well upon uh, the recut. I do think there's some fun action sequences and some funny moments still like everybody was saying Zack Snyder 
has just you know the just the overwhelming tone at times but we still have some jokes in here uh that worked uh i just think it's like kind of sandwiched into a bunch of terrible dialogue scenes that's the problem yeah um i think it's a bit of a middle school dance like which is my nightmare just being i don't know if you've ever chaperoned a middle school dance but like having to listen to those kids just talk and be as nervous as they are and then actually communicate <laughs> with each other it's it's a horrible nightmare and this movie reminded me of some of that this is also like you know if you're standing in line for comic-con for like four days mm. i feel like day four the dialogue would be going like this movie people would just lose their shit and just speak like these characters but yeah. look chris terrio is cashing them checks after his argo screenplay after his oscars good for him i want his his career I, I i would love i would kill for his career i would kill <laughs> bull men and bug people for his career craig but all right we talked about some positives i want to leave it there for the non-spoiler section because i don't want to berate people who i respect like yourself for for reasons that are very clear to both mike and i and and to our audiences because you are a man distinguishable from the two of us <laughs> because of our your character and our character so very clearly i want to say that you know my family my friends love this movie and i am in the minority and i respect the hell out of their opinions we talk movies all the time there's other film critics that have been on this show they they love this movie and i am i disagree but i will say that i listen to their podcast and i will continue to listen to their podcast and i respect their opinions and i again whatever they're smoking i want some so that's where <laughs> okay. i'm at uh, but please you know you uh you guys are gonna we're gonna do a spoiler section but in case anybody can't listen craig please remind everybody where they can find you and david on social media and where they can find your great podcast yeah so you can find us um well it's at www.isitworthitpodcast.com um you can find the podcast on all good podcasting apps that's apple podcast spotify um and even Amazon Music, if you want to go on there and find it. Um, just search Is It Worth It? The Film Review Podcast. Um, and uh, you can find me on Twitter at I am Craig. Um, that's not a misspelling, that's correct. It is C R A G, I am Craig. Um, and that's where you can hit us up or on Twitter at Film Is Worth It. All right. Well, we're going to get into spoilers and break it all down. Spoilers ahead. This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. 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 So this is going to be a bit of a free-flowing conversation now, Craig, because yep. I think uh, I think the notes are all over the place. I, th I think I, I wrote down a lot of snarkiness, and I don't apologize for it. It's just a lot of snark yep. coming. No, this and is cool. You're going to talk me off some ledges. Uh, you're going to try and punch me through the Zoom, I think, uh, at the same time. But I, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to get into this because... I, I'm sure I have some misconceptions. You know the source material. You know these characters better than I do, it seems. Do you for think? Certain. 
No, I do because I mean I watch I read some of the graphic novels, but I, I mean if you were if you were really in deep to the comics or in more more so than me, then then you have. Uh, but but here's the thing: like you can separate, you can separate backstories. You have you're a man of principle, whereas I am not. <laughs> even though I pretend to be. Where am I going? Look, I think uh, I think we have a variety of thoughts. I think I'm stalling because I'm nervous because uh, we're about to unveil it all, and and it starts with this immediate car- carryover. We talked about it in the non-spoiler section. They have this epilogue on this film that people hate mm. on social media and, and, and in the public. And people love because it goes into another whole other storyline, the Injustice storyline that, that I've gathered is what it's called. But it is this scene in this uh, dystopian, apocalyptic world where Batman and his suicide squad of various characters that we've met along this journey someone from atlantis the of course you know great great pick amber heard from atlantis there plus <laughs> jared leto the joker amidst uh, the flash and cyborg I'm, I'm i'm forgetting one more guy who was there was it deadshot i think it was was it deadshot was there it? and he he showed up in the fourth epilogue before the fifth epilogue that I'm now referring to. Yes, Deadshot was there because he was on the boat with Lex Luthor, Luthor, then he was there. But look, this scene is the most polarizing thing about the film Mm. for some reason. So I think I am the screenwriter brain that I can't believe they get away with this. I can't believe he had the audacity to do this because the it was all a dream reversal at the end of one story is something that my eighth grade creative writing teacher told me never do that again you're an idiot and Mm. he was the most lovely man alive and yet (laughs) he's got the patience of a saint he's reading freaking eighth grade creative writing essays for a living so he told me this bullshit don't do this and here Zack snyder is doing the it was all a dream so I guess I just I gotta I guess just lay it out there. Do, do you enjoy which side do you fall on? Do you like this scene? Do you not like this scene? I'm sure we both could say that the device, the narrative device to get us in and out, was dumb. Yeah, definitely that narrative um, device to get you in into a dream sequence is is poor. It's really poor. But when you're into it, this is a whole different film. This is a whole mm. different thing, and and it's a whole different kettle of fish because. I thought it was amazing. Like I really, really liked it. I thought we had a way better Joker than we had in um, that very poor film that I don't even want to say the name of because it was terrible. Um, <laughs> Suicide Squad, I said it, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, but it, yeah. it, it was terrible. Um, it's a whole different piece of filmmaking almost. And it shows because this is, this is the part of the film that was completely new and inserted. And I liked it. I really mm. liked it. And, and, However, there were some weird things going on. I mean, certain accents from people, which we probably will discuss later on again. But yeah, what, what is, is she, she doing? doing? <laughs> Why? You don't have to. You never had to, but she did. She went the full British accent. It's got to be mortifying to you. It is because it, it first of all it doesn't make sense because we've seen her previously, not with that accent. So why did they have that accent there? I don't understand. I just, I go back to, to Green Book, and I'm forgetting his name. Vigo Mortensen's. Hey, I'm working here, boys. <laughs> I'm gonna eat forty hot dogs. I'm gonna. Hey, you gotta, you gotta eat fourteen meals a day, boys. So, like, oh, I God. just hate that impersonation of Italian Americans. I mm. can't imagine Amber Heard's 
British voice. It's a stereotype, uh, isn't it? It's a real stereotype. Oh. And I don't know if I'm coming across as a real Brit here when the way I'm speaking, but <laughs> like it's just so totally forced from her and it's just not natural and um, it just doesn't it just doesn't add up. But I mean, that is a small segment of the film. Right. And it's at the end, and we've had her through the majority of the film, and it's still, at that point, it's grating on me, it's still annoying me, and it's like, why are you even here? Why are you in this scene? I, I had a sneaking su suspicion you were going to also like this scene, because I really like this scene. I was saying to myself, hey, the stakes of this, just the stakes of this alone, I want this movie instead of what yes. the hell I just watched. I want this movie because this is the end of the world. This is worthy of an apocalyptic team-up. This is what, like, they got to change everything. They got to fight Superman. They got to, oh my God, we have underdogs for yep. once. And that's like, that's going to be my biggest issue with this film, Craig, is that this God problem with Superman and the fact that they can't write themselves out of that corner mm. in terms of the screenplay. So never mind the fact that this movie, this scene, this epilogue was shoehorned in. But I just look at the subtext of that scene, which is probably the only scene with, with any subtext from a writing perspective. But there are some layers with the fact that the Joker and the Batman have their thing, right? I mean, yeah. Batman knows that the Joker knows that Batman knows that the Joker knows that the Joker wants Batman to kill him. Oh yeah, they know this. <laughs> they've they've dueled for years and maybe decades, according to some plot lines. And then, of course, we have the fifteen rounds between Batman and Superman, at least in this storyline, which is which is interesting. So, we actually have conflict here that is more layered than just Bullman. Who talks like this? And <laughs> heroes that are so obviously heroic that uh, we get gorgeous. Uh, operatic yelling from wonder, wonderful female vocalists every time we have an action sequence. So I, I'm curious if this this movie's story is something you still get behind. If, if it's if it's something that all right, you love these characters and you're more concerned with the character development and the character execution because fundamentally speaking, my biggest worst is going to be with this script's plot. Yeah. And maybe I'm an idiot for getting hung up on a film's plot but when it comes to a movie like this. How do you, again, you're the purist here. How do you compartmentalize this story is Drek and yet, it's kind of cool. What, what do you think of this movie's through line? I mean, it, it doesn't carry itself. It doesn't suspend my belief. Now, I, a lot of the Marvel films, and I'm sorry to say this, they, they, can, they can manage to suspend some belief in there because it's sustained on some reality in some instances. And that's why I really enjoy them. With the DC ones like this, it, there's, there's some suspense that's built, but it doesn't also suspend that belief and right. I think some of the plot here just didn't work it just it's clunky at best to provide us with a real telling of how we get from point a to point b to point c all the way through and I, I just I don't know like the more I'm talking to you the more I'm starting to hate on this film <laughs> should this be happening <laughs> well, I just wonder if it's a movie that is a bit like fast food. It's a bit like ice cream. It's a bit like sugar overload. It's a bit of, 
you know, the, the, the good fun on first glance, on yeah. first watch. And that's been my sneaking suspicion on this movie yeah. all along because, like, are critics going to be embarrassed of their reviews of this movie three years from now, two days from now? What what are people going to be saying about this? Because here, I just come to blockbusters like this. You mentioned the MCU. I just rewatched Iron Man. And you feel the nitty-gritty of that film. You oh, yeah. feel the, du- the, the, the sand hitting him. You feel the sand on the guy's wound. For, you see the sand on the guy's wound who gets his head, you know, bald head, you know, uh, hurt a little bit. And, yeah. and he's got a wound covered in sand. It's gross. And you see that. And you feel the realism of that. In, in Lord of the Rings, right, you have the worms in the ground run away from the ring raids. You have the leaves on the trees, like, shrink and curdle at the, when, when those bad guys are approaching. You have the Peter Jackson doing 100 camera tricks there to make practical effects work for that film. Yeah. And then you got this green screen nonsense where, all right, you're painting pretty pictures constantly, but we're just, we don't necessarily have the realism. It's not built in. And to me four hours of that when I can't view it episodically is just like a deal breaker at the end of the day. But I I, I guess the fact, maybe the fact that you took it piecemeal, you could handle it. Do you have any, well, you're saying you're kind of changing your mind. I'm talking you out of stuff. If Mike and I do this to each other all the time, I I talk myself out of. A little bit. I mean, I really, really, really did enjoy elements of the film and i think it's the spectacularness of it the the spectacle the big large action scenes that were entertaining and i'm entertained by them but but then what's going on with the rest of the film (laughs) because now the more i talk to you about it the more i realize it things fall apart things things disintegrate in your hands and you're devastated by them, especially if you're a huge DC fan, actually. I think well, the more times you watch it, perhaps it... Will, it, will it improve on the watch? On, and you've watched it twice. It I've didn't it improve. The, not necessarily. However, I can't believe I'm playing devil's advocate against myself here, but I have to because you did mention that you know, a lot of these sequences uh, work and a lot of there's a lot of enjoyment on the first watch. And again, you drew attention to the VFX and we just you know, recognized about the production backstory that yeah. that's where the money went. Yeah. Right. And that's where the expertise is. And that's where the, the new budget is. So the fact that we get that Amazonian scene where it's so obviously VFX, the fact that we get this in the same setting the flashback to when Darkseid was there the first time and Zeus and all those other cool heroes are kicking ass and we got the huge battle and the fact that we get down the hill with the beautiful sunlight, again, almost reminding me of Lord of the Rings, I believe it was the Two Towers, when, you know, obviously you got that scene where the sunlight's over the mountains coming down. It's fake. I know it's fake. It looks fake, but it's still gorgeous. Oh, yeah. And... You know, that's kind of this movie. It's just this cosplay porn. It's this <laughs> hero porn. And it, it really is sumptuous and debaucherous for the eyes, I guess. But, all right, I, I, I have to bring up the Superman problem mm. because there was nothing, nothing anybody could pay me and nothing you could ever say as beautiful a human being as you are to get me to rewatch Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. So... I'm wondering if you can help me and explain to me, I guess, why Superman 
woke up so grumpy <laughs> in the middle of this film because that's another huge set piece. Superman wakes up and he fights the heroes. This is a trope, but you know, obviously he has been such a boy scout. He has been so wholesome for so long in terms of being such a heroic presence, even though, yeah, I mean, there's collateral damage to yeah. all these fights in man of steel, but what do you make of that sequence? It felt like they were shoehorning it in or does it have resonance from the previous film for you? I think it has resonance going all the way back to Man of Steel, if I'm honest, because mm -hmm. if we depict, not depict, but if we pick apart, sorry, Man of Steel, it's a great film until you get to the end when something changes in Superman, that his, his moral compass changes, something that right. I really hated about that movie. And then we go through to Batman versus Superman and we've got a lot of antagonism going through with Batman and Superman. And we have things going on in there that don't add up to the real true version of who these characters are and is that snyder doing that i don't know but then when you throw that into to this film mm -hmm. and we we we're ex I'm, I'm expecting this sort of thing to happen because it's it's it plays back into the hands of all the things that have happened previously it's trying to separate itself from its source material in a way like i'm giving more depth to this character i'm showing you that he's not that character from yesteryear that you know is wholesome is brilliant but it does flip it on its head because it because then all of a sudden he does become wholesome again he does become and it's like it's strange right. why that, does that's he do my that? problem with it yeah that's why once he puts on the plaid shirt then he's you know <laughs> joe american again yeah. and he's, he's he gives you the boyfriend voice after the freaking plaid shirt comes on his, oh, God. his beautifully sculpted chest so all right I, I i that's one issue i had with the movie on pond rewatch but that's because i didn't really remember what i tried to black out of my brain with the batman v superman plot line but i guess what i cannot rationalize at all is the god problem with superman and they just had the lamest way of writing him out of the essential drama as being that last minute surprise that mm. high, what do they call it high castle surprise for screenwriters uh whatever that moment at the end where he comes in and saves the day fine all right i, I figured that was going to happen we all did mm. he was going to come back even though he turned on a dime when he put on the plaid shirt but okay he comes back but then they have to write out how powerful he is because oh, yeah. he is just mopping the floor with steppenwolf that it is hilarious he punches him from one side of romania to the other he rips <laughs> off his horn everything coming out of his eyes is putting holes through the guy's chainmail. not only the chainmail, but his 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 body his bull body and i mean it's just a massacre it's overkill this guy is mush he should be mush after a few punches but oh, then yeah. we, we we cut away to just pu Superman pulverizing him in the background while this doomsday device <laughs> sinks up and ends the world. That's what happens at the end of the movie. So Superman is so consumed with beating the ever-living sh ever shit out of this bull man that he doesn't know that he hasn't met or, or, or did he meet him in Batman v Superman. Like, that's the thing to me. Like, he's just distracted by this just sadomasochistic rage for some reason. And that's how we have to write him out so that the Flash could save the movie. It's mind-blowing, it? It's a doozy. It's a doozy. 
<laughs> I just don't understand. Like he is the most powerful character, and they've made him so powerful that like you can't have him in the film anymore because he would always win every single battle that you have him in. And the only way they've undone that is by trying to make him the bad guy for about two minutes in, of the film. And this is a four-hour film. Why wasn't there more development for this? Why didn't it take more of an effort to change him back to the wholesome Superman that he was previously? Yeah. I don't understand that. Like, you had enough time, Snyder, to, to bring that in. Well, I think it's compelling, even though I kind of get aggravated with the transitions, like you said. It is compelling when Superman is bad and he's seriously... I mean, I mean look, there's a novel series, a YA novel series that actually I love as an adult, called mm -hmm. The Reckoners, where... Uh, I think it's uh, Man of, not Man of Steel, but Steelheart is the first novel. Mm. And there's a couple more, but The Reckoners is about bad guy superheroes and regular people have to defeat them. And one of them's like Superman. And this is very similar to Amazon Prime show The Boys, where these bad guy superheroes, I mean, this so is stakes. This is screenwriting. This is writing yourself and writing your heroes behind all this jeopardy and, and or into all this jeopardy and behind all these underdog odds so once you sway the uh, the odds in your favor like superman is he has to f up he basically has to f up or get distracted for them to lose for the heroes to lose so my biggest yeah. issue of this with this movie is like why do we need six heroes it's almost like they're forcing the team up and we had joe messin we had some good people on twitter today kind of make this same point we had dc kind of copying the avengers trying to go for the money grab to the point where they hired the same gosh darn director to f save the project, you know? So it's just like, I don't know, man. I just think, I feel like they, they shoehorn the plot in and it's my biggest story yeah. gripe. It's just, this is probably a two and a half hour story. We're forcing it into a four hour story here, even though some of it plays better than the last, obviously a lot of it plays better than the last one. Yeah. But is there any reason why he takes so long to get to Romania? Is there any reason whatsoever that he's sitting there talking to the, you know, Martian Manhunter, pretending to be his mom, or, or who was he? The Martian Manhunter shows up, and of course, I mean, I'm glad he, you know, released his name at the end. Like mm. that was the, the the worst delivery of a line I've ever heard in my entire life. That's a great oh, yeah. actor, by the way. But what's the deal with Martian Manhunter? He he's part of the original uh, super team, good guys, right? Right. Well, I don't know much about him. So when he did appear in the film, I was like, hang on a second. Who are you? Um, I would have liked to have seen you more in this film, actually. Um, but at the same time, it, it adds this element of the fact that there could be more to this. And mm -hmm. there's definitely things going about on the internet that there isn't going to be anymore. This is a full stop. This was ending Snyder's, um, uh, you know, uh, DC universe. You think it, so? Yeah. yeah, and that's what they've said. They've said this is this is an end to it. But they've right. left you wanting more, hundred <laughs> percent. I don't know. Well, did they leave you wanting more? I think actually, I think that's the question. Well, I think this is like a fan base that genuinely loves these characters so much mm. that they are going to be aggravated now so they're, they're almost poking the bear in a way mm -hmm. but all right i i just uh i have story issues and for me i i have a hard time getting over story issues in movies but i'm a snob i'm an oscar pundit snob there's a reason i review the collection movies i do because <laughs> i have issues but all right i think uh i think if this was a bug's life 
and this was Pixar, you would have thespian circus bugs defeating these bully grasshoppers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I don't think you need six immortal god heroes or five or whatever. Uh, I don't think, you know, to beat a bunch of bug people and a bull man horny for mother's boxes. I, I, I just don't think... I don't think you need as much firepower on the good guy side, but all right. So that's that. I mean, I, that's why I fall on the negatives with this movie more. But I do have some more negatives, so I don't know if you want to <laughs> join me here. Do you want to uh, preface any of what I'm going to say now with any more negatives? Any more negatives? I mean, I feel like you're going to cover the bases here, but <laughs> I mean, honestly, you've like, read this, yes. I, I I haven't read this completely. I didn't manage to get all the way down to the bottom because there are so many negatives that you've got here. Like, I, I have I, I have a stat, but I think I might read that stat out when you get to that point, possibly if you've got it in here. It's about slow motion. Do you have that in your in your notes? Slow motion? Anything in there about that? No, I don't. So, I, do you want me to give you that so. stat? I can give you that stat. Yeah, it's an obvious joke, though. Do you want me to set you up with the joke? Or do you set not me up with me it. Go on. Set me up with well, it. Well, I mean, the, everybody's been making this joke, and I have not made it. To my credit, it was the low-hanging fruit. I have not made it yet. But if Zack Snyder did this all in real time and didn't have any slow motion, it would have been a two-hour movie. That's the joke, and everybody makes it, and it's never been funny. Mm. But there's your preface. Thank you for, for setting me up there with that. But courtesy of IGN, <laughs> who actually put the hard work in here, they've actually mm. put in that there's 24 minutes, seven seconds worth of slow motion footage in this film. So that's, a, a, you know, you can equate that to 1,447 seconds worth of that stuff but so it's not a, a slow motion movie it's it's not it's not but it it, like. basically it's about 10 percent of the movie is in slow motion it is overkill it is totally overkill and and it, it just basically emphasizes the fact that these are godlike heroes that yeah. are able to stop bullets and other amusing things and uh, you know use it sparingly or sparingly I personally hate it when it's overused um, and yeah, it's a part of the film that I, I actually disliked, even though visually it's nice sometimes. You know, if you look at Sherlock Holmes, um, the Sherlock Holmes film that Guy Ritchie did, there's some excellent slow motion in there and it's, it, right. it's, it's done in a way that is a purposeful. You get a, a, an unpicking of what's happening moment by moment from Robert Downey Jr. and that is the best way of use of, of slow motion, especially when it's used more often than not. And this in here, it's just far overused, far too much. Well, that's fascinating because they're weaponizing the, the slow motion for the plot, for the narrative, for mm. the screenplay. And, and obviously, you know, you have Robert Downey Jr. And Sherlock Holmes talking you through the slow-mo for that reason, which is fascinating. And no, we don't get any of that here. We get we get Aquaman with his shirt off, slowly walking into the water. Yeah, how many, how many shirts does he need to buy every time he takes that shirt off? Because he just chucks them away. Yeah, I mean, he can use a friend like Bruce Wayne. He's going to bankroll his wardrobe. I mean, that's a wise thing. But, I, oh, by, by the way, this is a positive, not a negative, but Aquaman's eyes are cool. He's got shark eyes. Mm. I, I had to Google pictures of sharks, and I was like, yeah, this is just a pupil and whites on the eyes. He's got shark eyes, so kudos to them. All right, Bruce Bolton. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan, but Bruce Bolton is the bank robber. Why is he a bank robber in this scene? Like, that? that's the silliest nonsense to open up the film. Uh, we have them blowing up four square blocks, these bad guys, 
want to blow up four square blocks, but they have a have to rob a bank to do it. If they have a bomb capable of blowing up four square blocks, why do they rob a bank or blow, blow their way into the bank just to warn Wonder Woman? Well, no, I think I, I think I know how I can counter you on this one. Please. So obviously, if you're going to bomb a bank, that's going to cause some huge disruption to some sort of financial systems and uh, people are going to be in the... Uh, yeah. Jeopardy. And, uh, I mean, I'm falling short here, really. There is no well, reason. Well, if you have a bomb capable of blowing up the square footage, though, <laughs> you could be on a bench next to <laughs> me and you could blow up the bomb. And they wouldn't, I mean, be, yeah, they wouldn't really alert many people then, would they? And then they, they would have succeeded in what they were trying to do. You're not going to get the... Dun -dun 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 -dun. You don't get that. You don't have to d reckon with the person no. who can go at super speed and who can fight you with, with forearm pads and who can, you know, just... It, it's a great it's a, it's a a great scene for... It is. For, uh, you know, for Wonder Woman fans right there. I mean, that's a, it's a central scene. I just wish they... Again, I wish they wrote it better, wrote it as more essential. It's almost like we have to have a bank robbery scene here, so let's just make up this cock of shit reason to put it in there. Yeah, no, I can. I, I have to agree with you. I, I tried to play devil as, devil's advocate, but I cannot succeed on your logic here whatsoever. All right. So we're just west of Husavik, I think, and we're at this Viking village that Aquaman brings fish to mm. every fortnight. Is that the worst musical number ever? When it, it, it's just so prone to humor too, because like they're probably just singing about his abs. <laughs> Whatever the the translation of that song was, the, like what? Why are we? Why do we need that song added? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know why they needed to add that song in. It it it, it transported me to a different place, though. Like I it did. I I, okay. I I may have nodded off. No, I didn't. I on this honestly though. It it I don't know why we needed that in there. Come on. You know what? It kind of just jumped to me. Go it on. does give you the kind of the god worship that we do get in the Watchmen series, right? I mean, that's a thing mm. with DC, right? So they're they're worshipping Aquaman as a god there, I guess. I mean, that adds yeah, to the world I suppose it, yeah, and, and Vikings, they do like to do that sort of thing, don't they? If you're going to have a four-hour film, you might as well just have a random white girl sing a Viking song about a guy with six-pack. All right, The Flash. All right, I've tweeted this. I'm an ass. But The Flash runs so bizarre. Mm. It is it is this upward flip of the wrists. It is this nonsense where he's bent at the waist. It is this, he's bowling, bowling the neck. He is Phoebe Buffay from Friends. He is, <laughs> he is leaning his torso into a hot tub and trying to splash you from under the water. He is running like Bigfoot walks in the patterson gimlin film he is running like my dog swims he is running like conor mcgregor post fight on the shit cock of the walk walk <laughs> thank you nebus ben why is he who told him to run like this greg i don't know but honestly is it ezra miller's choice to do that um oh. Is it? That's what like, somebody had to tell him, listen, you're going to run like you're throwing dice at a craps table. You're going <laughs> to run like you're doing those those fucking ropes. At Flick the, those at the wrists. Gym. They, they carry you further. I, I don't understand it either. It's not visually very appealing when you're running at that. Like it's that. hilarious when they zoom out at the end of the movie. Like I'm supposed to be taken by the catharsis at the end of the film. See, dad, I'm making good. Great. Fine. 
but then they pull back and he's running like a freaking goofy ass ridiculous human. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm laughing out loud like a buffoon. As a track coach, I'm wearing track shirt. I I am a high school track coach. Uh, Matty of movie marathoners, I'm sure would agree with me. He's a track guy too. So like I'm watching this running form and I'm fixated on it and I can't get past it. No, I, I honestly, it's bizarre. It's 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 humorous, really, to watch. And you're like, why are you even doing this? Actually, well, that's all right. So let's get into something serious though, because the Flash. He goes so fast that he reverses time mm. and fixes the mistake of Superman needing to needing blood, needing to taste the blood of this random bull guy that he just met and beat him to the ever-living pulp that he becomes uh, instead of saving the world from the doomsday device at the end. So we have the Flash having to reverse time and saving the movie. Now, we could have also beaten the bull man if the Flash just like went really fast and had the sword. Right? Didn't we establish the sword cut off his head at the end of the movie? Yeah, so pretty the easy. Flash, hmm. Yeah. I mean, you could have a Quicksilver montage where the Flash just kills kills all the crickets. And, again, end of movie right there. But you can also have a scene where the Flash just kills the bull man. End of movie, again. I, I, this, is, this is the problem, isn't it, with these DC films, actually? <laughs> that these characters are so overpowered that they could end things in moments. And so why drag it on for four hours? Is the question really actually? So all right, see, so, yeah, it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm not alone, and I'm glad you're a man of reason here. Mm. But I got more things like Batman. He drives like a dick. <laughs> what the hell? Like he cut off that other car. Like it was just just to go ten feet, and you got that beautiful vehicle. Uh, just that I just have problems. Like I just again, I, I work at a high school, and my nightmare is being stuck in that parking lot. Uh, with the kids and they're driving like maniacs fast and furious and here he is supposedly setting an example i'm old craig i'm just an old <laughs> man who likes my safe driving all right this i mentioned this at the top cyborg the vikings <laughs> mankind thinks they can just bury this mother's box two feet deep in the ground mm. And that will somehow not be eroded away and easily found by not the Nazis, but anybody. <laughs> right? Yeah, no. Kind of silly. It's, it's, it's probably one of the most silliest parts because it's not only him that does that. Cyborg does that at some point, Everybody doesn't he? Does they all bury them about two foot under the ground. Where's the logic in that? Like some of these people are powerful. It. Why can't they dig bigger holes? I mean, come on. Like what would a coyote become? If I mean, we saw Cyborg. He was basically a head, and he became Cyborg <laughs> because of the mother's box. So, like, we would have, su like, Super Coyote. If somebody dug that thing up, if a wolf dug that thing up, we would have the most powerful wolf in the history of the world because the mother's box created him. Oh, my God. I don't, I don't know what's going on. All right. The Flash is completely essential and then unessential because we have the greatest sequence of the film this crazy ass thing in this tunnel and the flash does this cool move where he goes so fast and around to grab wonder woman's sword and he flicks the sword to her and and what happens then she just superhero falls with the sword and she's fine she lands like a cat <laughs> so what was the point of him tripping and, and and that's another thing he gets a basketball ankle he he he's, he he doesn't even spray it's like a gray Three, whatever, or I forget now which the the some more severe ankle sprain, grade one or grade three. Do they go like golf? Anyway, 
he gets this mild ankle sprain and he's out of the movie and he he, he can't do anything. Mm. You, you have no defense. I have no I have no defense on that. <laughs> you you want me to like come in here and say look that was purposeful for this reason, but I have no defense for any of this. And and as I say, you're changing my view of this film significantly. The more I need to go back and watch it, I need I need four hours or well, maybe five hours to just delve back into it and maybe see if what I'm seeing is good. Um, I don't think it is. I've succeeded. No, I I wonder I wonder how many people can can rewatch the film and continue to like, I mean, I guess if you're not like such a plot junkie and you don't need escapism as much as I do, mm. and you're more psychologically healthy as a human being, I wonder like yourself, um, who we've established is better than both Mike and, and me. Uh, but as it, it just, again, character and I have the, I have the awkward intro to the segment and I'll have the awkward outro now, but look, I mean, we have, <laughs> we have a movie that is, uh, I guess a lot of sugar in a way, and that's okay. Yeah, people can enjoy this. The, the question I would have, like, I wonder if people are arguing others in a corner with how they love or hate it, or with the fandom. And, and Mike kind of just asked our last guest, Adnan Verk, before David there about toxic fandom with movies. And you know, today I think we paid this movie some credit, and we've and we've also gone on its case about some things. Mm. I want to fit in that, and I guess in that regard, I want to finish with some best because we do have a couple, yeah, and it is important. So uh, I'll I'll leave it to you for to start here. Do you have any other bests that we haven't talked about, or do you want to dive into one of your favorite scenes a little bit more? Yeah, I think where I mean, it's maybe not even certain scenes that I really really enjoyed. I think it's just the fact that they've managed to bring these characters to life those that didn't get their day previously you know josh whedon mm -hmm. had a way with i mean I, I i'm gonna ask you now what was your view on the age of ultron when that came out i had issues with it then yeah i i had issues with it on rewatch yeah and i you know i remember loving like the hulkbuster scene thinking it was the coolest thing i ever saw yeah but yeah i had i, I had issues with it both times and the, the finale is still exhausting so no, I had I had issues with Age of Ultron. Yeah, so did I. And I recently rewatched it a couple of weeks ago, and I realised just how much of that carried across to the Justice League um, version that he did, and mm. and how much how inappropriate some of it really was. And I think like Zack Snyder cut a lot of that out and put in some of the more you know some better bits um, to make it stand up. And I think. The cyborg element um, yeah. definitely was an element that was needed. He was just so poor previously, and now we've got a well-rounded character. He had justice to him. Um, I think like he he is a huge character in this film. Mm -hmm. He carries the film on his shoulders in plot and in other nature as well. And I I really liked his character, and I would love to see more from him. But I think as rumor goes, I don't think he's coming back. Um, possibly. Yeah, that's that's a strange production story. I got to research more, but I heard I, I've heard people talk about it in other podcasts yeah. where I, I guess he is not a guy with an extensive extensive resume he hasn't done much after this it was this was such a bad experience for him or mm. something and it, it's it's tragic because he's got some talent as an actor i mean he's just ahead 
acting. So he's Tom Hardying it, <laughs> yeah. really. I mean, he's you know he's doing fairly well there. I, I didn't have issues with his performance, uh, but you're right with his story. I think you're you're dead on. That's one of my takeaways and my, my positives that I still have. Uh, Cyborg's backstory is horrifying. It's compelling. Mm. His father's death is meaningful. You see the reverberations of that through his son's change of character, change of mind, how he views the, uh, I keep wanting to call him the Avengers, how he views the Justice League, where Wonder Woman's pep talk is one thing, and Mm. that's kind of like how the last movie went. Wonder Woman gives him a pep talk and he just shows up or whatever. But this movie, you get all the backstory and you get all the... uh, yeah, and you let it breathe. Yeah. I mean, this guy's been quarantined more than we have. We relate to him more than ever. Hundred <laughs> percent. How many years? How many years has he been in that room, trapped in that room, or just on the, the roof rooftop there? I mean, he's living that quarantine life. It's not fun. <laughs> totally. <laughs> we could totally relate to him now. All right. The Steppenwolf backstory is better. I would say with between him and yeah. dark side and we get his allegiance and we get why he's doing what he's doing. You know, I still think this movie fails every Bechdel test to the point where it's almost like amazing how, how much it fails the Bechdel test and how anyway, it's ridiculous, <laughs> but all right. I think Steppenwolf is much cooler as a villain. Yeah. He makes more sense. The chainmail works. It's not just a bull with a, great ass for three hours like the last movie it's yeah. it's, it's it's a different you know they covered the ass for once i mean we still give the cyborg a great ass but all right they, they, we have a bull with a covered ass by the chainmail. i guess we don't like uh we don't need to anamorphize it so now we have steppenwolf with a very satisfying end he meets a satisfying end because he's a bastard the whole movie oh yeah and that final kill the bloodlust from my lips is like Superman. I mean, I want him dead so hard, and Superman beats the shit out of him, and then they have this coordinated attack, and they cut off his head, and it's great. Yeah, I to- honestly, he is now a fearsome character. He looks better, he has more depth to his story, and he has a satisfying ending. And that is that's what we wanted from the original film, I think. And and we got it here definitely and why you know it took four hours to get there but it got there in the end and and it, it was a worthy ending for a, for an antagonist antagonist like him and I, and I would say both movies i would think uh barry allen's storyline is solid like both like even the last movie i mean they had some extra jokes with the last movie even though people disagree with the fandom him racing superman or whatever but i enjoyed the flash stuff i laughed at Ezra Miller's his deliverance of jokes in both versions, even though it gets a little, you know, elongated like this mm. podcast has at this moment in time. But I think, <laughs> I think I, I enjoyed the flash scene. Are, are you looking forward to the flash movie? Do you have a connection to the flash? Uh, I, I'm, I have to disagree with you on this. Actually. Mm-hmm. I actually mm-hmm. dislike Ezra Miller as the flash and a lot of people love him, but I, I really don't like his, his quips, his his um, the, the the smart sort of reactions to things, the quick talkingness of him, it, it grates on me. It it doesn't. It, it's not something I enjoy, um, and it goes on for quite a while in this film. And and 
I, I, I'm not looking forward to the movie because if it's more of that for an entire movie with just him mm-hmm. in it as that main character, I don't think I'd be looking forward to that at all. No, you're right. You, you're right to point out my hypocrisies there because he is very different from the tone of this movie. Yeah. <laughs> His character is very different from the tone of this movie. And he, in both versions, I would say, even even with Joss Whedon kind mm. of yucking it up more than, more so than this film. But I was just kind of finding so many other inconsistencies that I guess I just relished in something kind of half funny that made me laugh. And uh, I, I guess I, uh, yeah, no, I had some guilty pleasures associated with the fact that he fed hot dogs to dogs, that he, you know, was calling out to his dad in awesomely badness at the end of the film, that he got to, you know, do his silly, goofy run, but also save the movie, I guess. That's, you know, I... I I'm probably wrong, but I, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree because I just liked what I liked there, I guess. And, yeah. and you dislike what you dislike. So yeah, and that's fine. That's cool. <laughs> so, this was cool. I thank you uh, for for doing this because this was a very difficult podcast. We were reviewing a four-hour movie mm. in an hour and 15 minutes. You're coming off a bird in your chimney. You're coming oh, off the God. week from hell. Yeah. I am... Um, I am, you know, it's this is a hard movie to tackle. Yeah, I, would I mean, say, I could, the, the I could story. summarize it. I have written a summary for it. Um, if you would like me to summarize <laughs> Please, it for you, yeah, yes. Okay, well, I, I believe ultimately Warner Brothers here with DC films in general, mm-hmm. um, are a bit like David when he's at a wedding dancing. <laughs> you want him to stop so very badly, but you just can't stop watching just in case he ends up becoming the world's best breakdancer or something. And that's exactly what most of these DC films are like. And this one is no different, I think. You can't stop watching because you're in this hope that there's going to be this resolution that you are going to be so satisfied the whole way through, at least at some point, maybe. And it just doesn't stop dancing badly. (laughs) It doesn't stop dancing badly. And uh, now I'm picturing David as the the character from Blockers, who's like, <laughs> oh, it's my moment, and gets getting bumped into or something, and yeah, until the end there. But David, you will have your moment on the dance floor, and again, on this podcast, and he's watching now, and Craig, uh, we got to have both you guys back down the line. These were back-to-back uh, episodes that were a lot of fun, so please, one more time, remind our fans where they can find you and David's work on the internet. Well, we're Is It Worth It, the film review podcast, and you can find us on all good podcasting platforms apple Podcasts, spotify amazon music and all other ones um or if you want to go to the website where you can stream all of the episodes we have over 101 episodes uh, it's www.isitworthitpodcast.com and i'm actually gonna just finish the outro here because i think uh mike is again you're a saint mike for editing all this uh, there's a lot of episodes here but uh it was a good conversation but yeah we're at m m and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar on instagram facebook uh, at gmail, MikeMikeOnOscar.com is coming soon. We've got more Oscars content, of course, coming up. We've got our category review series that's starting up. And leading into that, we will have our Oscar Locks pod, where Mike and I will build on David and I's conversation and actually lock a couple of these categories and perhaps more categories than we original, originally thought before heading into the SAG. So, guys, make sure you listen to Is It Worth It? Make sure you follow... Craig and David and 
Uh, please join us for the rest of awards season and more movie events to come. We don't just cover the Oscars. We cover movie events as well, just movies that we have to talk about. And, and Craig, this was like the most zeitgeisty movie ever, so I'm really glad uh, you gave me this outlet to talk about this film. So thank you, bud. No, thank you very much. All right, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you.